Hey guys, I'm Pastor Tim. Welcome to Liquid Church Online. It is a privilege to come into your home today. I'm so happy you're here for week three. It's the final message in our series, Surviving the Dip. Now, before we dive in, I do want to let you know about a brand new series we're starting next week. It's called Friends of the Family. I always like to say Liquid is a family church, and we've got friends all over the world. And this summer, I want to introduce you to a few of my favorites. Here's a sneak peek of our new series starting next weekend. Friends of the Family is a chance for you to meet some of my very best friends who I think are some of the most creative communicators on the planet. In this series, we're going to hear from Urban D, a hip-hop artist turned pastor who leads Crossover Church in Tampa, Florida. You're going to hear from my friend Rich Velotis, who's a Brooklyn-born Puerto Rican pastor of New Life Fellowship in Queens, New York. Rich is a brilliant thinker. He's an author about the issues of race and the gospel. Some of you know him from social media. And Wayne Francis, one of my very favorite and funniest preachers who pastors Life Church in Westchester, New York. All three are friends of our family. They love liquid. They love Jesus. And I can't wait for you to hear each one. So this series starts next week. So tune in, meet some new friends of our church family. Now, today we're wrapping up a three-part series on the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Do you remember how to spell it? <laughs> it's a little bit of a tongue twister. Habakkuk, H-A-B-A-double-K-U-K. He is an Old Testament, a minor prophet with a major message. It's a short book. It's really only three chapters long. And I'm so glad we're going to hear that it's resonating with so many of you. You know, um... You, some of you have said, Tim, this, this is an old thing, but it relates to 2020. Habakkuk was written around 600 BC. And although it's this ancient Hebrew text, we're finding it has, man, tremendous relevance to modern life. Listen, if you've ever faced like a painful situation, or maybe you went through a season of struggle in your life and you, you knew God could do something about it, but he didn't. And it kind of left you scratching your head, kind of confused, wondering, where's God questioning your faith? <laughs> you relate to Habakkuk. Because he looked at the world around him and he saw all this injustice and violence. His nation, Israel, it was full of corruption at the time. The powerful took advantage of the weak and the wicked always seemed to win. And so Habakkuk said, God, I don't understand. Why are you letting bad stuff happen? And God gave him an answer. God said, hey, I know it's bad, but it's actually going to get worse. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians an even more wicked and immoral nation to come in and totally wipe out Israel. And Habakkuk's jaw dropped. He's like, God, that's your answer? That's even worse. God, if you cared, why would you let that happen to us? See, Habakkuk had these hard questions for God. He saw things happening in the world that didn't make sense. And in chapter one, he aimed four tough questions at God. He said, how long, O Lord? Must I call for help? But you do not listen. Or I cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. God, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Basically, Habakkuk was looking at the front page news of his day, all this scandal and murder and injustice, corruption. It made him shake his head. God, if you're so good, why do you let bad stuff happen? You ever feel that way? Like, Maybe I could write your name on this board and, and you'd be, man, I got my own questions. Life is unfair. Maybe, maybe for you, you work long hours. You were a faithful employee for a decade or more. And all of a sudden, boom, pandemic hits and you get a pink slip, but your shady coworker gets a promotion. And you're like, God, that's not fair. Or maybe your ex cheated on you, betrayed your vows, 
broke your heart, left you devastated and alone. And then you hear six months later, they're getting married. And you're like, God, that ain't right. That's back. That's jacked up. Or, or maybe you're a parent and you do your best to raise your kids, right, according to God's word. You take them to church and, and, and feed them spiritually. And then they go off to college and go off the deep end. Why'd you let that happen, Lord? Or what about that disease or diagnosis that just came out of nowhere? Like all those years of, of healthy eating and exercise and clean living. And now, illness in my prime, disability in my older age. It's not fair, Habakkuk says, when bad stuff happens for no good reason. Or worse, happens to seemingly good people. We wrestle with our faith. That's what his name means, wrestle. And we question where God is leading us. I illustrated that for a lot of Christians. Our journey with Jesus looks something like this. This is kind of our starting point in faith. We don't know the love and mercy of God yet, but maybe we read a book or we talk to a friend and suddenly a spiritual seed is planted and, and something happens in our life and our friend says, I'll pray for you. And, and when they pray, God did something. He actually answered the request. And so you come to church and, and now you pray and God answers it. And, and you find out that God isn't this impersonal God. He is Jesus. He came to this earth. He loves you. He died for you. And you make a commitment. You say, I am going to become a Christ follower. I'm a Christian. And your life changes. We all had those mountaintop moments where our faith was on fire. And, and, and we read the Bible. And it was like you every morning. It's like God has a fresh message just for me. And, and we go to church and we join a small group and we start serving. But somewhere along the way, we said, for every Christian, life takes a turn. In other words, not always up and to the right. All of a sudden, one day we wake up and I'm just not feeling it anymore. It's like the music. I don't enjoy singing. And my heart's kind of cold about serving. And I think I'm going to sleep in. And then maybe somebody you love gets sick and you pray for them. And not only do they not get well, the opposite happens. They get worse. And you have what Henry Blackaby calls a crisis of belief. What do you do when what you see does not correspond to what God said? In other words, what you now see happening in your eyes isn't what you previously believed in your head. You have a crisis. You get stuck. And this is where we said a lot of people, man, they just, they just want to go back or they want to give up altogether. In other words, they say, you know what? Maybe this Christianity stuff wasn't for me. Maybe it was just all emotion or feeling. Or they say, I just want to go back and I'm, I'm, I'm living in victory. I'm just kind of, but it's really disconnected from reality. It's, it's, uh, it's denial. Here's the deal, guys. This is chapter one of Habakkuk, where we see people of good faith wrestle with God. We all are going to wrestle with God at some point. Habakkuk's saying, I don't understand. And so in chapter two, he goes into this dip what we called the dip of doubt, where we have all these questions for God, like how does a good God allow suffering? God, why would you let this happen in my life if you loved me? It's like a child saying, mommy, daddy, I don't get it. Why are you sending me to bed early? And it's so hard because this is really God's waiting room. In chapter two, Habakkuk has to wait and wait and wait some more, right? This is hard. Last week I told you, I hate to wait. We all do. When we're in pain, we don't like God's timing. We just want to get out of the dip of doubt. Because this is where we learn to surrender control and trust Abba, our Father in heaven completely. The Holy Spirit begins to teach us qualities while we're waiting. Remember the school of waiting? He teaches us things like patience and perseverance. He gives us a brand new perspective on our pain. 
In fact, remember Habakkuk said, the righteous will live by faith. So that's chapter two. Have patience. Even though deliverance is delayed, it will not be denied, so wait for it. But if you resist the temptation to go back or give up, and you lean in and you hold on, we said that this is like a roller coaster. Eventually, God will slingshot you to a whole nother level of faith, of trust in his goodness. Even when you can't see it, you know God's working. And guys, this is where you develop, get ready for it, a chapter three kind of worship. That's what I want to talk about today. How do you worship God in hard circumstances? Even when life is bad, you can praise him because you know God is still good. And he gives you supernatural strength to go on the heights. So think about it this way. You may be here today tuning in and you're like, you know what? My world is falling apart. But this is a next level of maturity. We realize it's not falling apart. My life is falling into place. God has plans to prosper me, not to harm me. And guys, this is a level of spiritual maturity that God wants to bring you to. Because you can't stay a sippy cup Christian for your whole life, just drinking Jesus juice, you know? Sometimes we joke about that, that like, this is the Jesus juice. And it's for beginners, it's wonderful. We never lose connection with Jesus. But Paul says, you gotta grow up and stop drinking milk. You gotta eat meat. Don't settle for a shallow baby faith. The idea is that your spiritual journey with Jesus, it's not this linear journey, right? Straight up and to the right. Take a look at this, guys. It's more like a what? A roller coaster with high points and dips, peaks and valleys. Didn't they tell you this in Sunday school, by the way? They didn't tell me. I remember singing songs like this. Jesus wants me for a son. Beam, ding. <laughs> and then, boom, we smash headlong into this dip and reality just kind of smacks us in the face. And we're like, what the heck? We're shocked. But guys, this is what the Bible says we're supposed to expect. James chapter 1 describes the journey this way. Remember it? Consider it pure joy, my brothers. Yay, Jesus, strong faith. Whenever you face what? Trials of many kinds. Many kinds? Hard times? Yeah. Because you know the testing of your faith develops what? Perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. Turns out if you hang in there, God says, I'm going to do something amazing in a dip. I'm not just going to make you happy, Tim. I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to make you mature and complete, just like Jesus. That's the goal of the Christian life. See, guys, before you get a crown, Jesus says, I want to teach you how to carry a cross. So if you're struggling today, I just want you to know this. You ain't weird. You are perfectly normal. Everything is going according to plan. Your questions, your struggles are just evidence. God's doing this deeper work inside your soul. Watch. He's preparing to take you to a higher level of worship. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. How we worship at a higher level. How do you praise God in hard times? That's the title of my talk. I've saved the best for last. Guys, in this final chapter, Habakkuk makes one of the strongest statements of faith in the entire Bible. It's actually a powerful prayer of worship. It's the climax of the whole book. Think of it this way. In Habakkuk chapter 1, let me use orange. In Habakkuk chapter 1, he started with a question mark. But chapter 3, you're going to see, actually ends with an exclamation point of praise. Let's read this together. I want to read the last three verses of Habakkuk 3, 
verses 16 through 19. Here's what Habakkuk writes. He said, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones. My, my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. So Habakkuk admits he's scared, right? He's afraid. But then he gives this very bold, very famous declaration of faith. Now, this is a poetic prayer, and it's meant to be sung like a psalm. Let's read it. Here we go. He says, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God my Savior. Translation, even when life is crashing down all around me, Habakkuk says, I will worship. I will rejoice in God my Savior. And you're like, what? Where, where do you get the strength to do that? Look at verse 19. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. In other words, I may have been in the dip for some time here, but as I've leaned into God and held on to Jesus, he's giving me the strength to go to new heights, a brand new level, what I call level three, worship. Where you worship God, not just for what he does, but for who he is. See, Habakkuk's joy isn't based on changing circumstances. It's based on this rock-solid character of Christ. If you're taking notes, I want to break this down. There are three things in this powerful prayer that teach us how to worship at this higher level. Habakkuk shows us how to trust God in the middle of your troubles, not after your troubles, in the middle of them. He shows us how to trade our worries for true worship. And if you do that, he says, God will give you strength to scale the heights. That's next level worship. Now take a look at this. In verse 16, Habakkuk is brutally honest about how he's feeling. He said, I, I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered, my legs trembled. Translation, I'm scared silly by what I see happening in the world around me. Why? Well, God told Habakkuk his country was about to be invaded, ransacked, and looted by the bloodthirsty Babylonians. He and his people were going to lose everything they built up over the years, everything they worked for. Here's the deal, the Babylonians, you can't imagine these guys. They were notorious for not just conquering lands, but their cruelty and hatred of Israel. They took women and children captive. They burned men alive. So as a prophet, we don't even know, but Habakkuk may have actually seen this in a, a vision. So he's afraid. I don't want you to miss the emotion here. He has a physical reaction. He's like, my, my heart's pounding. My, my lips are quivering. My legs are trembling. This is fear factor, guys, multiplied by a thousand. You ever have that queasy feeling? <laughs> I've had it, and a lot of times it's up here at the top of a roller coaster. You guys remember I showed you the drop of doom on the King Ka roller coaster at Great Adventure? Look at this baby. 418 feet of pure terror. You get to that top, your heart your pounds, your lips tremble. I, I actually scream like a girl when I'm on a roller coaster. That's nothing against girls who scream, but I just scream and at the shrillest top of my lungs. Why? It's scary. It is a frightening drop into the dip. So understand when Habakkuk says, I'm going to trust God, this is more than like, I'm trusting God to help me with that traffic ticket. <laughs> 
This is God saying, I want you to trust me. No matter how steep this drop gets, Habakkuk, hold on. Give me your complete trust in the middle of your troubles. Be honest. Could you trust the Lord if you lost everything in your life? Your job, your home, your health? I mean, is your faith strong enough to trust God no matter what? I don't know that mine is. Let's be honest. I mean, right now, we're all on edge. This is a season of loss for most of us. A lot of us are fearful, right? As America, we're actually, look at this thing, we're going through a double dip in our nation. We had the global pandemic first. COVID-19 has turned our whole world upside down. Over 112,000 Americans have died. There's record unemployment. We have to wear masks to the grocery store and we're like, Will it spike again this summer? We're not not out of the woods. In the midst of that global health crisis then, our nation has been plunged into racial turmoil. I mean, guys, you've seen it. The the sickening murders of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, the list goes on and on and on. People are rightfully protesting police brutality and systematic racism. Our world is crying out for justice and reform, but it is raw and angry on the streets. You know, I don't know about you, but like I find myself watching the nightly news right now and I feel a little like Habakkuk. My heart races, (laughs) my head starts spinning. It's a little too much. How do you deal with fear and raw emotion? Are you like, well, positive thinking, Tim, just think positive. Or do you like, oh, I just breathe it away. No, no, no. (laughs) Habakkuk says, you have to trust God in the middle of your troubles. Look at the second half of verse 16. He says, yet I will what it say, church? Wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. In other words, God told him the Babylonians, the Babylonians they're going to invade Israel. He's like, there's no stopping that. But in chapter two, those of you who read it in your small group this week, God also told Habakkuk, I'm going to judge the Babylonians for their sin. And eventually I'm going to save my people. So in the middle of this trouble and fear, Habakkuk says, I'm going to wait patiently for God. And that phrase, wait patiently, actually comes from the Hebrew word meaning to rest, to settle down. It's the same word you find in the Ten Commandments when God says, I want you to rest on the Sabbath day. So in the middle of this intense drop, this coming pain, God says, don't get worked up. Deep breath. Relax, Habakkuk. Rest in me. Trust me. I've got this. I'm sovereign. I'm in control. And even when your world is jacked up, you don't have to be. He says, take my hand. I want to take you to watch a higher level of faith and trade your worries for worship. Look at this. Look at verses 17 through 18. Guys, this is one of the most beautiful expressions in the entire Bible of true worship. Habakkuk says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, I can't see any hope. Though there's no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls. And here it is. Let's say it together. Wherever you are, just type the word rejoice in the chat, people. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. This is just a stunning passage. In fact, it's poetry. Do you know that? This is Hebrew poetry. In fact, in my Bible, chapter 3 is labeled with on Shigianoff. Can you say that? Shigianoff. It's a musical term. So in a lot of ways, these verses are actually like a song. 
He's like, I'm going to set this to music so generations after me can remember how to worship in the middle of their worries. And you're going to see Habakkuk paints three very colorful pictures here. Did you catch him? The first one says this. He says, the fig tree is not budding. There's no grapes on the vines. The olive crop fails. The fields produce no food. Now, I want you to imagine you were a farmer, okay? You worked all year planting and pruning. He's basically saying, get ready. There's going to be famine and crop failure. No figs, no grapes, no olives, no Mediterranean diet, nothing to eat, nothing to drink. Some of you are like, what about meat? Though there are no sheep in the pen, ain't no cattle in the stalls. In other words, this is a full-blown human disaster. Habakkuk imagines this agricultural crash and an economic collapse. No crops, no animals. It means they're in for a season of starvation and loss. Why don't you think about that? Like, imagine that. Everything that you depend on for health and for wealth and for security is going to be stripped away. Now, one commentator I read said something kind of interesting. He says, those buds or those blossoms there, like on the, that, you, that he says that there's no buds, there's no hope. He goes, that really represents the future. In other words, let me get personal. Do you have dreams for the future that you're like, I, I, I feel like God promised that I'll bring these to fruition, but you don't see any hope of these ever coming true? Like maybe you're single and you hope to be married someday, but you're like, I don't see anyone on the horizon. No prospects right now. And you wonder, will I be single forever? Maybe you're in here and you see no buds on the vine. Maybe you are trying to start a family, you know? But the more you try, it's like just children aren't happening. Look what Habakkuk says. He says, though the fig tree does not bud, there's no grapes on the vine. In other words, have you ever prayed, God, just give me a little sign, a little glimmer of hope just to hold on to then you know how Habakkuk feels. And Habakkuk, I think, would gently counsel you. He'd say, when you have nothing to hold on to for the future, I want you to Habakkuk. Hold on to God and trade your worries for worship. Even if you can't see the future, no hope on the horizon. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God, my Savior. It's the first snapshot we see here. The second snapshot is not the future. It's actually about the present. He says, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. In other words, what happens when you work all year, you plant all year, it's time for harvest, and you go out there and you're like, what is this? The crops completely fail. You would be like, this is all for nothing. You'd have a friend who's actually a church planter in Philadelphia. And uh, over a year ago, he left his job in the corporate world to start a new church in uh, Philly. And it took him 12 months, right, to assemble a team. They developed a strategy, a vision. They, they felt God calling them to this neighborhood. They actually raised money. They bought all this equipment. They did this promotion, and, and I was helping coach him, and he was so excited. He's like, it's opening day, Tim. Here it comes, and he launched this march, and God did more than he could ask or imagine. A huge success. On opening day of their church, over 400 people showed up. And he's like, Tim, it was the best day of my life. You know when that was? March 1st. Next week, COVID hit, shut down the school they were meeting in, and said, my best day of life became also my worst week. All that work, he said, is it for nothing? Maybe you have your own COVID story. Maybe you lost your job, or you, you had your income cut, or maybe your business is bleeding right now. There's actually a coffee shop in our town. It's like the same thing. It opened a month before the pandemic, and I loved it because it was like a new coffee shop. Business was booming. It was packed with people. They had to close their doors, and now I see them struggling to reopen and rebuild momentum. All that effort, all that work, and it all's for 
nothing, Habakkuk says. Though the olive crop fails, the fields produce no food. What do you do when your hard work seems to come to nothing? It's, it's, like, it's like a big old zero, man. I put all that in and I got nothing. What, what about those of you who put years into a relationship with another person? And now that person tells you, actually, I need my space. Really? Like after decades, they found someone new. All those years, all that investment, Habakkuk says, God, I'm going to rejoice in the middle of this. It's hard. Doesn't get easier. Look at the last picture he paints. He says, though, there's no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls. The sheep and cows, they're a symbol of what your reserves are. Like, what are you banking on for security in your life? Like in Habakkuk's world, it's like no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls means no money in the bank. You get it? <laughs> I know people who have invested heavily in the stock market earlier in the year. And of course, the markets crashed. Boom. Or maybe it's the housing market, which seems to be up and down. All of a sudden, you lost equity in your house or your credit line is maxed out. And like you, your family and your friends, they've helped out all they can, but now you're tapped out. What do you do when you got nothing to fall back on? I think Habakkuk would look you straight in the face and say, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will, say it together, church, rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God, my Savior. You have to make this intentional decision to defiantly worship and trade your worries for this worship that is defiant and fierce. It's spiritual warfare. See, the truth is, guys, it's very easy to say, oh, I trust God. When you got grapes on your table, you got cows in the barn, isn't it? Because <laughs> then it's wine and T-bone steaks every night. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Are you really worshiping God those times? Or are you worshiping the things that God gave you? Think about Job in the Old Testament. Job was crazy rich. He had a big family. And the Bible says he lost everything he had in one day. His health, his wealth, his children all died in disaster. You know what Satan said to God? He said, now we'll see God. If Job really worships you or just worships you because you bless him. Amazingly, Job passed the test. He said, you know what? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I think in the dip here, Habakkuk is testing us with the exact same question. Like, do you really worship God for who he is or just for what he gives you? Let me tell you something. Look at me. Habakkuk is absolutely shredding the health and wealth gospel here. He's destroying it. You know, the so-called prosperity gospel that like, hey, if you just believe and have faith in God, he's going to give you gourmet dinners on your table and a Ferrari in your garage. Praise Jesus. Listen to me. First off, that's a heresy. It's a lie. That, that is sippy cup faith where we only praise God when he blesses us. In fact, the health and wealth, it's not, it's a false gospel. Habakkuk's like, don't give me that like best life now, garbage. The truth is life is hard and God never promises his children a life of uninterrupted health, wealth, and victory in the Christian journey. We'll get there. But the real God of the Bible, look at this. He allows suffering and pain in the life of every believer. And we'll all have these moments of grief where we wonder like, God, where, where are you? What are you doing? When, when will this end? God doesn't send suffering. Understand something. Listen, because God's a sadist or he likes pain. He allows suffering because he's a God that's sovereign. He is powerful enough to even bend the bad stuff in your life for your good. And he will use it to build up 
your faith take you to a higher level of trust and worship that you'd never get to any other way. You know why? Because you're a Christ follower. You're following Christ. You're walking, not randomly, but in the footsteps of your Savior Jesus, who watch. For 33 years, he healed the sick and served the poor, and people followed him. And he said, I'm bringing God's love down to earth. I'm going to heal this broken world once and for all. But as he approached Jerusalem, what happened? Suddenly, uh-oh, he was arrested. He was betrayed. All his friends left him, and eventually he was crucified on a cruel Roman cross. You think your life is painful? It's nothing. This is the ultimate suffering. When Jesus took on my sin and your sin, the sins of the whole world, and he absorbed the wrath of God. And on that cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See guys, a cross always comes before a crown, doesn't it? There's my crown. Look at that in heaven. But you got to carry your cross first. You got to go through this dip. You know what? The disciples were in this dip for three days. They're like, let's go back to fishing. Let's just give up altogether. I don't know if any of this stuff about Jesus was true. But three days later, oh, baby, when Jesus walked out of that tomb, the grave robber, and he put on that crown and was raised from the dead, God made good on his promise. And they worshiped. Their faith went to a whole nother level. What I think I saw is now not just what I believe, it's what I know. See, on the other side of the dip is this true worship of a God who can be trusted in human suffering because he entered into it. On the cross, guys, Jesus absorbed the worst the world has to offer, the sin of all humanity, and he absorbed the wrath of God. And he said, I did that so you can come here one day and be reconciled to God and you reign with me forever. Guys, you're in training for reigning. Write that down. That is why we rejoice. You're in training for reigning. Our hope is in Christ. Look what Habakkuk says. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God, my Savior. We worship him because of salvation. So we look at this temporary suffering and said, you know what? I may be physically sick, but the only sickness that can really kill me is sin. And Jesus already cured that with his blood, amen? So I'll rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God, my Savior. Yes, I may be in debt up to my eyeballs, but the only debt that can ruin my soul has already been paid in full by Jesus. So I'll rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice and be joyful in God, my Savior. See, worship at a higher level rejoices in God, regardless of your circumstances. Because even if God never gave you another blessing, lean in. You still need to praise him for the gift of eternal life. Amen? Make some noise in the chat. Light it up. Habakkuk says, trade your worries for worship. Rejoice in God for his own sake. Because guys, all this is temporary. Everything. All of it. You know that? All the things God blesses you with and, and gives for our enjoyment will one day be stripped away. Even your breath. Everything but Jesus. I mean, America's double dip is highlighting that. How fragile things are. You see how relevant Habakkuk is for our times? In fact, check this out. This week, I did something kind of fun. I wrote some poetry. <laughs> I actually rewrote Habakkuk 3, but I updated it for 2020. Want to hear my Hebrew poetry? Embrace yourself. 
This is the PTV or Pastor Tim version. Habakkuk 3:17. Though the pandemic does not end and there are no solutions for the sick, though the economy shrinks and the stores produce no income, though there are protests in the streets and no justice in the land, say at church, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God, my Savior. Amen, friends. When all hell is breaking loose around you, you got to worship in the face of it. It's spiritual warfare. This is how you punch the devil in the face. It's defiant worship. You got to learn it. You got to lean into it. Maybe in your life, I don't know what it looks like for you, but maybe it looks like this. Maybe it looks like, look at me. Though my spouse said I do, but he really didn't live up to his word. Yet I will rejoice in God, my Savior. Maybe for you it's, though our house won't sell, and financially we're on the edge, yet I will rejoice in God, my Savior. I'll worship even though I've prayed for that person to be healed, but the cure hasn't come. They haven't had the surgery, yet I'll rejoice in Jesus, my Savior. Parents, listen to me. Don't give up hope. Though I raised my kids to know better, to know better, but they're making scary decisions right now in this dip, Tim. Yet I'll be joyful in Jesus and put their life in his hands because he who started a good work will be faithful to complete it. Even though I don't feel like it, though I wish I could change it, even though, God, I wish you could, I know you could, and I wish you would, I'm going to trade my worries for worship of you and trust in God, my Savior. I wish I could come through that camera and shake every single one of you that one day you will know the beauty of a level three worship of God for who he is. But here's the thing. You can't have a chapter three kind of worship until you've wrestled with a chapter one kind of question and gone through a chapter two kind of waiting. Because God can do more spiritually in this dip than he ever did on the mountaintop. And those who are closest to God, they have been through this. Their journey with Jesus has peaks and it has valleys. Trust God in the middle of your troubles. Trade your worries for, for worshiping him. And God will give you, last point, the strength to scale the heights. Strength to scale the heights. Uh, last verse, you may be like, you know, Tim, strength to scale the heights. That sounds good. Where do I get the strength to live like that? Look what Habakkuk writes, verse 19. He says, the sovereign Lord, God, you're in control. You're sovereign, is my strength. Put it back up there. Put that verse up there. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Make a muscle. Flex in the chat. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. And he enables me to what? Tread on the heights. So Habakkuk imagines a deer climbing up the side of a steep mountain, steady, sure-footed, unafraid, full of confidence as it scales the heights. You want to see something cool? Uh, during quarantine, I saw this amazing video of this fascinating animal called an ibex, which scales 90-degree mountain walls. Take a look at this. It's a mountain goat that lives in remote mountain regions, and it has this special ability to scale sheer vertical walls. It's mind-boggling. Look at this. The ibex can climb a 90-degree mountain wall. It just clings to the rock and climbs higher, and higher. It's incredible. From height to height, it is fearless. It is brave. It is like so sure-footed as it climbs. And look at it. I mean, it could plunge to its death. 
It's going after mineral water, by the way. Even the babies follow the mothers up there because they want the water, which has nutrients. But when I watch this, I'm like, look at those ibexes. There's nothing to hold on to. You just think it's about to fall, and suddenly it defies gravity. And I was like, how's it do that? And I learned the secret. Look at this. An ibex has these cloven hooves, and each foot has two rubber pads. In other words, it has eight points of contact. Its hooves aren't like a horse. They're not hard. They're like rubber tire treads, and there's eight of them when they're split. In other words, Habakkuk's describing, in verse 19, he says, the sovereign Lord, he makes my feet like what? What does it say? Like the feet of a deer, and he enables me to tread on the heights. Maybe you're facing a mountain today. Maybe there is an overwhelming obstacle, and you don't know how you're ever going to get over it. Maybe it's a health crisis or it's a job situation. Maybe it's financial crunch. If you ask God for help, the Holy Spirit will give you strength to scale the heights. As you rely on him, step by step, day by day, he will carry you higher and higher in your faith. Everybody wants to go to the next level in their faith. How do you have a deeper level of intimacy with their journey with Jesus? Look. You draw your strength from Christ alone. I want you to think about it. In chapter one, Habakkuk begins his journey and he enters this valley of fear and doubt, but he ends up slingshotted in chapter three. He's scaling the heights with feet like a deer, like an ibex, to a higher place of trust in his God. When we first met Habakkuk, man, all he had were questions and doubts and confusion. But as he worshiped his way through this dip, he arrives at this place of faith, of hope, and confidence by the end. Even though the fig tree doesn't bud, my bank account is drained, here it is, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be faithful and joyful in God my Savior. In other words, he's saying, if I got Jesus, man, I got everything I need. Amen? In chapter 1. Habakkuk had a question mark for God. (laughs) But in chapter three, he ends with an exclamation point of bold faith. There ain't sheep in the pen. There's no cattle in my barns, but I'll be joyful in God my Savior. Can you trust God that way today? Do you have a faith that defies gravity and circumstances? Oh, I pray you will. I pray you will. Because guys, this is how you get out of the dip. Like Habakkuk, watch, you worship your way through it. You keep seeking God. You keep bringing him your questions. And as you trust God with your troubles and you trade your worries for worship, he will give you supernatural strength to scale the heights. That's next level worship. Can I get personal with up in your grill a little bit? Lean in. Maybe you're in a valley today. Maybe you're facing a big test or a challenge that's blocking your path. If you will lean into God, And today you will Habakkuk, you will wrap your arms around Jesus and hold on to your Savior, your Lord, your guide. He will be faithful to carry you there. Why? Because Christ has gone ahead of you. You notice this looks like mountain climbing (laughs) with peaks and valleys. I had someone say to me, oh, Tim, I can't wait to get to level three because I don't have to go through it again. Uh Uh-uh. Christian journey secret looks like this. Every level, another devil. But every level, the Lord will reveal himself as faithful. And God will carry you higher and higher from glory to glory until you meet Jesus 
face to face. And he puts that crown on and says, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. So I want to encourage you today. Those of you in the dip, maybe you're just starting to come out of one. Even while you're waiting, your God is working. Amen? The Bible says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on until completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So lean in, church. Embrace Jesus in this season. Let God lead you to a new level of worship, and you'll discover something. He may or may not change your circumstances right away, but he will always change you. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, right now, I am praying for every man and woman under the sound of my voice, God. They may be watching on a phone. They may be listening in their car. They may be in a living room. Father, would you help them right now to open their hands and their hearts? to receive Christ. Today, if, you've ne- if you say, I have to have that, have that kind of trust in God, Tim. I don't have that kind of faith. It's okay. Come with a mustard seed right now. Come with the smallest faith you can muster and open your heart and invite Christ in. Just say, Jesus, be my guide. Thank you for coming to this earth. Thank you for suffering on a cross. Thank you for being raised to new life. I give my life to you. Jesus, forgive me for my sin. I turn from it now and I make you my Lord and Savior today. I want to spend eternity with you, God. And so Jesus, I Habakkuk, I embrace you today and make you my Lord and Savior. Father, I pray for everyone who just prayed that prayer. Just flood them with the Holy Spirit, God. Cast out any doubt, Lord. There'll be time for you to answer questions as they read your word. But right now, fill them with faith, God, that you will carry them through the dip of doubt. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing, and we pray for our nation. We pray for justice. We pray for equality. We pray for supernatural healing. God, heal our land. You're using this time to refine us, Lord. We repent. Reform our world, and may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We give all of our faith to the one who is faithful, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Everyone said together, amen. God bless you guys.